For the estimated 16 million adults dealing with depression in America today, it can feel like a dark and lonely journey. But today we'll tell you how one man made it out of the woods and how you can too. By writing that actually gave me some strength and I could feel it and see it. And um, it was a matter of describing depression. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sanders, and want to truly thank you for making us part of your day today. And I also want to remind you that if you like what you hear on this show and you want to add a little more positivity to your day, you could do that anytime by visiting our website, livehappy.com, or by picking up the latest issue of Live Happy magazine at your favorite local newsstand or bookstore. This week, we're talking with Brent Williams, a former human rights attorney who found his career sidelined by a debilitating bout of depression and anxiety. Brent then dedicated himself to not just accept his diagnosis, but to overcome it. His troubled journey, which he chronicled through journals, became the basis of his new book, Out of the Woods, a truly revealing memoir that's disguised as a graphic novel. Live Happy Science editor Paula Phelps talked with Brent about his book and how he overcame his anxiety and depression. Brent, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, you've got an interesting story to tell, and it's uh, very bold for you to be able to come out and be public with your struggles with depression. So, first of all, I just I want to welcome you to Live Happy Now. Thank you, Paula. It's lovely to be on your show. Well, you know, there's so many different things about your story that are, are very interesting, but one of the things that I found most interesting is that you're a human rights attorney. So you're, you're spending your life helping others, but at the same time, you're having to struggle with your own depression. So can you explain what that was like for you? Um, well, it's, it was um, more a case that I did my career. I was very involved, very engaged, doing a lot of different things. And then I got depression. Um, there was a period where I found it difficult, but it pretty much came on, came out of the blue in my late 40s and stopped me working. So it wasn't like I was struggling um, through work with depression. It was, it was more clear cut. It was like I worked, I got depression, burnt out, crashed, and then I wasn't able to work. Well, do you feel that... Uh, so anything triggered your depression? Was there something specific that brought it on? Or is it something that maybe you'd had previously in your life, but to a point where it, it didn't incapacitate you? I think at a low level, there were certainly some warning signs um, before I crashed, and I wasn't listening to them. Um, I think that's was very foolish. Um, I also had anxiety when I was young, and, and it sort of popped up at different times in my life, but I didn't take it seriously. I just, I just you know, gave it another name and pushed on and didn't really think anything of it. Um, so, um, so yes, there was, it was, and it was a couple of years of finding it a little bit difficult. There were a lot of physical, um, well, probably more than two years. There was a period of, say, of physical ailments, but, you know, you can always put those down to something else, you know, stomach, stomach issues, um, migraines, back pain. Yeah, These so all types, those things that are in retrospect are, are symptoms of anxiety or depression, but at the time it's easy to say, oh, it's it's a bug or it's this or I strained my back. Yeah, totally. And I think it wasn't a symptom of depression. It was just simply they was just my body saying, look, this is you're pushing it too hard. You 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 know we we're, we're not uh, we need we need to live differently. And because I didn't listen and I just kept pushing on or finding ways of dealing with those individual symptoms. 
the body then said, look, we've got no alternative but to shut you down, and it did, good and proper. So I think that's, <laughs> for me, that's more how it, it ran. I didn't listen. I constantly didn't listen. I just you know, got through my day by, by throwing Panadol down my throat thinking, well, look, I've just got to keep going. You know, I didn't think of the alternative of stopping. And that's pretty common. You brought up a great point because a lot of people who are struggling with either anxiety or depression or both just feel like they, you know, if it were a medical ailment, they would stop and tend to it. But it's not, it's not something you can see. So they just soldier on and they feel like they can't stop. Depression is such an an illness um, that afflicts the that helpers, people who are busy, people who have taken on a lot, people who care for others. It's so common. You know, um, I talk to I talk to professionals. The profile of a depressed person is a person that's that's usually caring for others and not caring for themselves. So I think it's it would be really good if we listen more to our bodies and listen to to look to, you know, take time to care for ourselves more and then we wouldn't get depressed and the body is very resilient but it'll only go so far before it says I can't do any more you're going to have to learn another way but one of the arguments people will give and and I've heard this from uh, I have many family members who deal with depression and who also struggle with anxiety and so the argument that you hear when you you suggest that they get some help is that they don't have time they feel like they have to continue caring for that ailing relative or they feel they are they have to go ahead and push themselves at work because work needs them and how do you make that clear to someone who is in that mindset like they know they need help but they feel like they can't take the time to take care of themselves but I hear so often people saying that that's exactly true. Haven't got time. That, that, oh, it's nothing. Um, or even the people that get to quite a point where they know something's wrong and they, they are calling out for help, they'll then retreat very quickly into a position of, oh, no, well, uh, not now. Um, okay, thanks a lot. And um, I'll ring a therapist when, I, when, when, it, when it gets really bad, i.e. when they're past the point of... of um, being able to just maybe, you know, do some good um, self-help um, things to get them through it to the point where they really they really need a complete overhaul. Right. It's kind of like if you will take uh, take something when you first start getting a scratchy throat. It's better than waiting until you get a full-blown uh, cold or flu, something like that coming on. But we tend to ignore those minor symptoms and say, like yeah. you said, I'll take care of it when it gets really bad. Yeah, and the, and it's because the things that drive you into depression are usually things that you're not aware of. And, well, the very behaviour that's that's creating the depression is is something that you're running away from, or not prepared, or not aware that it's driving you in your life. And so, um, the the big issues you have to deal with, and um, they tend to catch up with you eventually in life if if you, if you don't if you're not aware of them. For yourself, when and why did you decide to get help? Um, it was in my late 40s, um, probably a couple of years after I got depression. So I tried to push it away. I tried to you know, soldier on, do all that. And then eventually I got to a point where I realized that I had run out of options. I, I chased all sorts of alternative remedies and healers, and I tried to deny that I was depressed, and that it was screaming. It was screaming out to me, and I got to a point where I basically was really worried about my um, 
about my, my about my situation. I had to get really bad at the point which I thought this is not right, this is not good, Brent. You need to do something. And then I took myself off to um, a doctor, got diagnosed, and um, but still, I you know even then I didn't believe it. I didn't want to accept it. I started to you know I, I took myself off because I had to, to to recover a bit. And then when I got a bit of strength back, I launched myself back into my 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 old life. And, um, you know, I still wasn't prepared to go and really commit to a therapist and um, I dabbled in it a little bit and then thought, no, this isn't for me. And, you know, there's a lot of denial going on that I was, that I was depressed and, and I, a lot of shame. I wanted to run away and deal with it on my own rather than actually turn up and face it and, and um, acknowledge I needed help and, and go to people who were qualified to help me. So that took many years, really. So meanwhile, depression still just digging in and you know, making life pretty un- unpleasant. Yeah, and do you feel if you had gotten help earlier that it would have been a shorter recovery? It would have been easier to come back from that? I think, I, I think yeah, I, I really, I do believe that. But I think it's getting help, but it's also listening to that help. It's acting on that help, actually making the lifestyle changes that are necessary to... Um, to start helping yourself, to looking after yourself. Um, it's fine to get help. You go and get help and, and then carry on your life and not really understand what you need to do or listen to the, to the messages that are coming through that you need to, um, you need to take care of yourself. And it's not a one-time thing. It's not like you go in and get treatment, you start feeling better and say, okay, I'm good to go. These are changes that you really want to adopt for life. Is that correct? I, it was for me. Um, it was a long process of, of realization, really. And it was, you know, it's it, it, there isn't one big thing that you suddenly one day dawns on you that, that lifts your depression. It's it's a whole um, process. It's a, a relationship you have that I had to build with a therapist, and it's a slowly uncovering the influences and why you've lived your life in a certain way that has led to you becoming depressed. Foundations of Positive Psychology is a five-course online specialization developed by the father of positive psychology, Dr. Martin E. P. Seligman, and his colleagues at the University of Pennsylvania. Available on Coursera.org, this program helps you master the strategies that enable individuals and organizations to thrive. No matter where you are in your personal and professional journey, you can find greater meaning in all that you do. The applied nature of the specialization allows you to enhance aspects of your well-being based on the skills acquired in each course, including grit, resilience, and human flourishing. When completed, you earn an official certificate that demonstrates your achievement. Foundations of Positive Psychology is taught by Dr. Martin E. P. Seligman, Dr. James O. Powelski, Dr. Angela Duckworth, Dr. Claire Robertson-Craft, and Dr. Karen Rivich, who are pioneering researchers at the Penn Positive Psychology Center. Enroll at Coursera.org slash specializations slash positive psychology or search Foundations of Positive Psychology on Coursera.org. I think the people that I know who have come through it almost universally say, I wish I'd gotten help earlier because my life is so much better now. And, it, you know, I could have been enjoying this kind of life 
years ago, if I had, had just come forward, if I'd just gotten the help, or if, if someone had told me this is what was going on, because sometimes we don't know what the problem is. We just know things aren't right. But if someone had told me, you're depressed, you need help, and if they had gotten that help, they could have really enjoyed more years of, of happiness and a fuller life. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I mean, for me, I lost so much along the way. I lost, you know, my family. I, I left my family. I left my business. Um, you know, there was a lot of damage done because I didn't um, take that road that you just described, which is you know, to get help early, to listen, to engage, to face your depression, and to make the, the necessary changes that you need to make, you know, you know, it's so interesting that you did speak earlier about the shame of having to get help for depression, and it is a difficult thing to come forward with, and I'm just, I wonder what made you have the courage to take this struggle so public and do this graphic novel and write the book and share your story, not just with a few people, you're sharing it with the world. What gave you the strength to do that? It's a funny thing because I remember... Um, in the early stages when I started reading again and I was reading some biographies of people who had um, shared their story, they shared their stories and I thought it really it really moved me it, it had a strong impact and I really admired them and I thought gosh I could never do that <laughs> <laughs> I thought there's no way I'm talking about my life to <laughs> never say never to, to anybody let alone you know um, and slowly I started talking. I started talking to a therapist. I started talking to um, uh, people. It was pretty slow talking to family and friends. That's been a, that's been a tough one. Yeah, it's and um, so. But for me, writing the book was very much part of my healing process. Was was coming to realise um, what I had and what I needed to get through. It was part of my therapy. Started off with 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 journals, just ex very simply expressing my emotions, and then developed into um, the story, which we now have. You mentioned your journal writing, and can you talk about how that has helped you cope with depression? Because journaling is something we do talk about a lot at Live Happy, and just can you give your own experience with that and how it helped you? Mm, sure. Um, <clears throat> I started journal writing very early on, in um, when I was when I was depressed and it was it was a real savior for me like and I'd never done it before and no one ever told me to do it it just it didn't start off oh I need to write a journal it's just I I, I needed to pick up a pen and start writing and um, it became such a great comfort to me and sometimes I, well, I remember very clearly when I was you know was in quite a bad state it was often the only thing that got me go you know got me um, got me out of bed, got me starting my day, I was to actually sit down and write how bad I felt. Oh, because man. by writing by writing that actually gave me some strength and I could feel it and see it. And um, it was a matter of describing depression because it's very hard to, it's a funny illness because it really sort of wraps you up and you don't really have a good perspective of what's going on. Um, your thinking is very clouded, you're behaving in quite an unusual ways. If I, I had isolated myself and I started to describe this. I started to talk about my feelings and I, I gave depression a shape. And by doing that, quite a strong impact of, of, of taking it out of yourself 
and 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 making it more of an objective thing that you could actually see and deal with, respond to, and that's and it, the journal writing strengthened that. So, and then I started having a conversation. So, if depression sort of wanted me to do something like go back to bed, not get out of bed, stay in a dark room, um, you know, I would I would see more clearly. Ah, that's depression. That's depression talking. I don't want to listen to depression's voice. I will do something different. So, um, you know, I wrote, I wrote those feelings. I wrote those thoughts, and it was very affirming. Gave me a lot of strength. Well, and that's one thing that makes this book so exceptional is it's not just a memoir, but it's also done in a graphic novel format, which is very mm. unusual, but I think highly effective. And where did that idea come from? What made you decide to do it? It would have been much easier if you had said, I'm just going to write a memoir. So what, where did that all come from? I think there's so many things that led to it being a graphic novel, but in fact, it wouldn't have been easier for me to write a memoir. That would have been really hard. In a way, I was still thinking visually. I was still just wanting to describe depression, have a conversation with it. And so the graphic novel was perfect. I could I could come up with a character that was depression. I could come up with characters that represented anxiety. And I could describe them visually so much better than um, sitting down and writing pages and pages of prose. Yeah, and so as it was released, what was your intention for that book? And has that intention changed at all? Has the outcome changed? Um, it's an interesting one because I think... Once I released it, it was another process of, of, of my recovery. It was another part of my recovery. You know, I was writing this book quite, quite, and I was quite insular. It was quite intense. I was quite isolated. It was very healing and, and very good for me to do it. But, you know, the, from the day of the launch in my hometown in Wellington, and I stood up before a couple of hundred of, my colleagues and friends and family and people I hadn't engaged with for many years, people who said, you just disappeared from our lives. What happened? And it was sort of like I had. So there I was making a very public statement to people. Here's my book. This is where I've been. This has been my journey. It was pretty emotional and but really good for me. It, was, it gave me a lot of strength. I started talking well, what yeah. has been the biggest surprise for you in all of this? Is it the response? What, what has taken you most by surprise? Um, I think I think it's the the level that it's, my story has touched and the book touches people. Is I hadn't quite predicted that. I had no idea when I was writing. I thought, oh my goodness, I can't publish this. <laughs> yeah. Who's who's going to relate to this? It didn't stop me. I had just a few moments of you know serious doubt, um, but I never really thought it was going to connect with people as it is. And the age range has been astonished me too. The the range of people. I thought, oh, maybe some people my age would would relate to it. But the number of young people who are connecting with it, and elderly people who have contacted me and said how aspects of it really connects with them. So. You know, it's just fascinating. You write a personal story, and it's connecting with preteens to um, you know people in their eighties. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Well, in a few minutes, we're going to have our host Jeff come on and tell people, tell our listeners how they can learn more about getting your book. But before you go, 
can you tell us what you would recommend any listeners today who are dealing with depression, who are dealing with anxiety, what advice would you give them? I think you've got to take it seriously. Um, you can't just push it aside. And you need to really, yeah, you need to get you need to get help because it plays such tricks on you and makes you believe, particularly if you're a strong helper type of person, which most people will be, that you can just carry on with your life. And um, you need some help to actually do some work on yourself. What about the friends and families of people? who have depression and anxiety, if you have someone, a loved one, who won't get help, who says, I don't have time for that, what can the friends and family do? I think they've got to be told, and if they can be, that they're, that they're going to take down more people than themselves. And it's really, it's a really selfish thing to do. You're just carrying your life thinking you're, you're being you know, heroic and helping others and not looking after yourself because it impacts on your family. And that has a ripple effect on so many people. The depressed person is a difficult character. You know, they, they, they're very difficult. They can be angry and grumpy and sullen and removed and un, unloving. So it's hard to reach out to a loved one that's like that. You just want to get annoyed with them, really. But if they can, and try and be quite persistent and really say that they need some help and try and support them, yeah, it's really important. That's wonderful. You know, you've given us such great advice today. You've given us so much to think about. And I know with your book, Out of the Woods, there's a lot more that they can glean from it. So, Brent, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us today, and uh, I hope that we can do this again sometime. Thanks, Paula. It's been a delight to speak to you. If you'd like to learn more about Brent's book, Out of the Woods, you can visit us at livehappynow.com, where you'll find a link to sample pages of this remarkable book. And while you're online, let us know you thought of this podcast. You could do that on Twitter, at LiveHappy, or on Facebook.com slash LiveHappy, or email us at podcast at LiveHappy.com. That's all we have for you this week. So until next time, this is Jeff Sanders wishing you a fantastic day and hoping that every day you live happy.